This message comes from NPR sponsor State Farm. In the market for small business insurance, State Farm agents can help you create a personalized plan that fits your business needs and budget. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Today on State of Ukraine, a money lifeline for Ukraine's government. The International Monetary Fund has agreed to loan Ukraine $15.6 billion. If approved, this will be the first time the IMF makes a loan to a country at war. NPR's Scott Simon asked Scheherazade Remen, professor of international finance at George Washington University, why the fund is doing this now. You know, a rule of banking lending is simple. War poses a risk to the lender, including the IMF, and so they have not done that. This rule change was obviously, you know, politically motivated, but also the humanitarian need on the ground is quite severe. They basically said they can now lend, there's a new loan program, for countries facing exceptionally high uncertainty. Now, Ukraine was not mentioned at all in this rule change, but clearly it is targeted for exactly this loan. What is the IMF offering Ukraine? Well, the package is, as you've mentioned, $15.6 billion. And it's coming in in two waves. There's two sides to this. It will eventually be approved by the executive committee of the IMF, and that's a pre-gone conclusion. They would not have made this announcement if it would not have been officially approved. The loan itself is actually for two and a half years, but it will unfold in two stages. The first is a year to year and a half will be devoted to building fiscal, external price and financial stability. Basically, it will focus on something called revenue mobilization. Now, this is a usual thing the IMF does. You know, they tell the country, increase your tax collection, eliminate monetary financing, rely on your own domestic debt markets. Now, this is a little bit of, you know, tongue in cheek because a country at war can't do any of these things. But they also have said in this first tranche of money is that you need to strengthen your governance and anti-corruption framework because some news has been coming out of Ukraine about corruption of the money coming in. All these tools for this first batch is also to help Ukraine into the EU, which is one of the major goals. The second phase of the deal, which will last up to the four-year mark, is really designed to entrench macroeconomic stability, support recovery, and early reconstruction program, while Kiev again tries to achieve the main goal, and that is EU accession. I think you've mentioned a couple, but the IMF is known for attaching conditions. So in this case, the conditions is clean up corruption, improve your governance? Yeah, and increased tax collection. You know, they when they lend money, as you well know, countries are already in trouble and they come with very harsh conditionalities. Everybody is fully cognizant that they're not going to be able to do that, not until this war is over. So this is a, a lifeline for them to help them humanitarianly, to help their governance and to keep a government in place with the eventual goal of uh, when things go back to a new normal after the war, they'll anchor their policies in sustainable financial policies and have a gradual economic recovery and promote long-term growth. I mean, the way you describe it, a loan is being offered with conditions that make Ukraine more likely than ever uh, to qualify for EU membership. This is exactly setting them on the path. So when they set up these rules and these uh, new macroeconomic policies and so forth, Basically, they'll be mirroring what the EU will require. Ukraine was already the IMF's third largest borrower before the war. What do you foresee for the country's economy when the fighting stops? 
Well, let me just backtrack a little bit, you know, in terms of the funding, because the IMF's secondary goal here, which is also a big benefit for Ukraine, is first that it's sending the signal that we are supporting the Ukrainian government, right? And secondly, it's this loan is expected to mobilize large-scale financing from other international donors and partners, uh, like the one we just recently had last February when Secretary Yellen made a surprise visit to Ukraine added another $1.2 billion to an already $30 billion give from the U.S. And that's not counting the military aid, which is about $47 billion just from the United States alone. So there will be continued support. And I believe that, you know, no one can tell how this war is going to end. Obviously, it's going to be a negotiated truce of some kind. But I believe the funding will continue. Do you have any concern that Ukraine can get billions for war that it can't get for recovery? I think if the war drags on, uh, that is a concern. I believe the EU and the U.S. are so committed to making sure that Ukraine succeeds that the funding will continue. The loan has not been non-controversial. I mean, it's we fully understand the Ukrainian need for this relief. But criticism has come in several forms. One that we've heard many times before, there have been many countries at war, And during this time, they've never done this. And the size of the loan is huge. And so, you know, the usual criticism is that it's a Western country, unlike a country, say, in South Asia, like Sri Lanka just got a loan, but it had to jump through a lot of hoops and it took quite a while. Or Ethiopia, Eritrea. Correct. Yeah. Correct. This also has to do with political agendas and the voting structure of the IMF. You know, the U.S. is the largest shareholder at 16.5%, and everybody else is 6% something and lower. So there's definitely political pressure, especially from the U.S. and the EU, to make all this work and continue to work. So I see more loans ahead. Shahrazad Riman, Professor of International Finance at the George Washington University. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back to this feed for more on the war and its impacts around the world. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections.